0: but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, we'll continue to look at this passage of Scripture, how that this is actually bearing one another's burdens and some other things that are associated with it. But we're only going to read the first verse because that's all we're going to be talking about this morning. We have looked at the communion in conflict, specifically this kind of conflict, which has to do with the peace, purity and unity of the church. And there are different kinds of conflict and the conflict with which Galatians 6 is addressing is internal conflict when it comes to fellow soldiers who have been wounded, ambassadors who have been compromised, and brethren who have been overtaken. Is, not, is this not what we have been warned about? In Luke chapter 22... Our Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. We've been warned about the possibility of being overtaken in any trespass. Over and over again throughout scripture. As a matter of fact, the apostle Peter says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour or overtake. And then we are told to resist him, stand fast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by our brotherhood in the world. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes that we are not to give place to the devil. Why? Because he is seeking whom he may overtake and devour. But Paul says here in Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Our failure in this ministry of reconciliation has given place to the devil, and here we are in this world with devils filled as Martin Luther wrote in our Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in that third verse of that hymn, he says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Where are those people? That's my question you this morning where are those people they're here we are supposed to be those people a people who will not fear because they know that God has willed his truth to triumph through us not Satan to triumph but the truth of Christ to triumph through us as his ambassadors, as his ministers of reconciliation. Yet we have become a people who are not only known for defeat nowadays. Isn't that true? When you think of the church, do you think of victory overcoming this world? Do you think of building his kingdom? Who was, was it? Uh, I can can remember their um, full name. Rin Collective, I think, is the shorthand name of it. Build your kingdom here, man! What a great song that is. The problem is, it's not true about us, right? That's the problem. When we sing it, we're actually singing a lie because it's not true about us. It should be true about us, and it's been true about a lot of the church throughout history, but no longer in 2022 in the United States of America is that true. We have become a people who are not only known for defeat, but we have surrendered to the defeat. Not only are we being defeated, but we're like, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. We've surrendered to it. Not realizing that we were born, born again for better things than this. We have been born again as conquerors and overcomers in Jesus Christ. And yet we act like we're slaves to Satan, that we're slaves to the beast, that we're slaves to the world, that we're slaves to sin, and we are slaves to our flesh. But yet, listen to these passages. In Romans 16, 20, Paul writes this, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That was written in the first century to the church. Now there's a lot to that statement, right? First of all, the implication is that Satan is supposed to be crushed. Which means that the church is supposed to have a warrior-like spirit. In Ephesians 6 and verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not be defeated. Stand against. In James 4, 7, he says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's not the picture we're painting today, is it? In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, as he's speaking to his disciples. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's your scripture. In first John four four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. None of this. Oh, but Satan. Is God greater? You know, this is this is really. To answer the question. Who is God? Because whoever takes this world. Is God. Because whoever takes this world. Is the one. To the victor belongs the spoils. Right? To the victor proves who is mightier. Who's mightier, God or Satan? That is the question that American Christians need to answer. Who's mightier? Who's mightier, the church or the world? In Revelation 12, and they have, over, and they have conquered him, talking about the beast, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives to the death. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, Jesus says. Paul writes to the Corinthians, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So, whether it's Satan, whether it's the beast, whether it's the world, whether it is sin, or whether it's your flesh, we are told that we're conquerors that we are overcomers. And you might be sitting there saying, what does this have to do with our topic in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1? If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, he's just going on his eschatological uh, rant, He's just trying to make a post-millennialist out of me. No, I don't care if you're pre, post, or all, as long as you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that he will put every enemy under his feet. And I mean in real time and space. I don't mean in some spiritualized way. I don't mean in some mythological way. I mean in, re- in reality, in this world. But you say, what's that got to do with our text, though? Well, when one of our brethren is overtaken or overpowered by surprise, those who are spiritual are to restore that one who is overtaken It does not say try. The try is just natural, right? It's kind of like Bob Knight trying to help people understand. I posted a a video (laughs) back the other day. I was on his birthday kind of thing on social media. But anyway, he was talking about what the biggest detriment to successful, uh, a a winning team is. And you know what he said? It's the natural man. (laughs) He didn't say the sinfulness of man, but he said nature, the natural man. But he said, it's not the will to win that is important. Because everybody has that. So try, that that should just be natural, right? But he went on to say it's the will to prepare to win. That's the key. The will to prepare. So we should have the desire, and we should already have the understanding that, that we should try to restore someone who has been overtaken What we don't have is the will to do the work to win. That's all we don't have. But notice what Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Not try, not hope, not just pray for them, even though you should. He's given a command on what to do about it. We are to approach these situations, first of all, victoriously and not with the pessimistic there goes another one. They must not have been saved. No. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So we have considered communion in conflict. We have considered the classification of the conflict. Now, let's look at the considerations of Paul about this conflict. Because it is a conflict, right? A man has been overtaken. He's been overpowered. Satan has sifted him as wheat. Satan is trying to devour him. Not only is there conflict with that man, but there's conflict now within the church. And notice Paul says, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual demands that the disposition of the body of Christ is made up of spiritual people. And the reason why, okay, I know this stuff... This stuff hurts, and it's ouch, right? I told you, there's going to be things flare up in you. You're going to get mad at some of the things that's stated that we're looking at in this passage, because I am. And, it, and, and then on the other hand, you're going to cry and start moping because we're such failures. But the reason why there's not much restoring happening today is because there's not much spiritual Spirituality. There are not those who are spiritual to restore. And so there's no restoration. There must be men who are spiritual if this man who has been overtaken in whatever trespass it may happen to be, he is not going to be restored if there are not those who are spiritual to restore him. And so Satan's going to devour him. And we're going to say, up there goes another one. So what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, the good news is we've already been told. Everyone's always, I, (laughs) I have a guy that I talk to quite a bit, not on a regular basis, but every so often. And that's what he always tells me. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Now what does he mean by that? He means there's some higher power somewhere. That's what he means by it. He he means that he's not a 100% naturalist. He does believe there are spiritual powers. But that's it. You know. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. In chapter 5, if you remember, look back to Galatians 5 and verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh For for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Talking about not being under the dominion of the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you also in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These are the things you are to be dominated by and under the dominion of. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So when he says let us walk in the spirit, he's talking about be a spiritual man. How, do you, how, how are you a spiritual man? Not doing the works of the flesh, but doing the works of the fruit of the spirit. So the one who is overtaken in any trespass is the one who is not walking in the spirit. He is not being a spiritual man. But instead, he is fulfilling the works of the flesh. He is fulfilling the lust of the flesh. He is fulfilling the desires of his own heart due to being overtaken or overpowered by the devil, the world, his own flesh. But being overpowered by surprise. And what are those trespasses? Those trespasses are actions in disobedience to the commands of God. It's disobeying the Ten Commandments. It's being under the dominion of sin. Now don't miss the point. The point here is not that Christians can commit these trespasses and still be Christian. That's not what we're doing here. We're not downplaying it. The point here is that the one must be restored because as Paul wrote, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those, like this man that's been overtaken in any trespass, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god the reason why they need to be restored is that is because their soul is in jeopardy if they are not restored they are excommunicated formally or informally because they're actually excommunicating themselves by not walking in faith and repentance They have removed themselves from the fellowship of Christ and the church, and therefore they must be restored back to fellowship. So what does it mean to be spiritual then? Well, that's in verse 16, which says, Walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So being spiritual is not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In verse 18, is being led by the Spirit, following the Spirit. And then, in verses 22 through 25, it's manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means to be a spiritual man. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 6, Paul says, To be carnally minded, or to be fleshly minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Therefore, Paul says in chapter 15, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And that's what Paul's talking about right here in chapter 6. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, any of those trespasses that we've seen in Galatians chapter 5, any of them, by the way, not just your pet peeve sins, any of them. Not just my pet peeve sense. Any of them. If a man is overpowered and taken by surprise in any of these trespasses, those who are spiritual are commanded to restore that person. Second, this is our duty. This is our calling to restore the fallen. First, we have to have the desire, right? But whether you have the desire or not, it doesn't alleviate the responsibility. Each of us have the responsibility, whether we have the desire or not. So just because we don't have the desire doesn't mean that we're going to stand before the Lord and we'll be like, yeah, but Lord, that really wasn't my gift. That really wasn't my calling. We had a pastor for crying out loud. No, we have the responsibility. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you pastors are to... No, no, no. Um, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you elders... No. Uh, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you deacons... No. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... You see, we have this responsibility, just as we find this responsibility in Ezekiel chapter 3, to warn the wicked and to warn the righteous. To warn the wicked so that they will turn from their ways, because if they turn from their wicked ways and turn to God, they'll live. But to also warn the righteous, because if the righteous turn from their righteousness and reject God, they shall die. So we are to warn the righteous and the unrighteous, those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church, those who are unbelievers and those who profess the faith. But Paul doesn't just frame this responsibility of warning. It is a command that Paul is actually given. So he's not just saying, listen, you know, you need to make sure that you warn the unrighteous. No, Paul is is, is actually stating it more definitive. He's saying we're to restore them. This is a victorious, conquering, overcoming disposition that doesn't leave any man behind. It's something we should be known for, not the Marine Corps only. The Marine Corps, one of their slogans is No Man Left Behind. Would to God the church had that. We live in a day and age when we learn more from secular society than secular society learns from us. And in a day of apostasy, that's a big statement. What we're saying is this reprobate, vile, wicked culture in which we live in has more to offer many times than we do. In Isaiah chapter 35, we are told to strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. See, we're to be restores. We're to bear one another's burdens, just like Aaron and Joshua upheld Moses' arms when he became weak and could not hold them up any longer. Remember? When they were in that battle, and as long as Moses was standing high and exalted so the people could see him with his arms up, then they prevailed when he became weak and could not hold his arms up then they were pushed back and so what did Aaron and Joshua do you know it's it's a real a novel concept but they would hold his arms up for him that's what we're supposed to do with one another You see, the spiritual are to possess the spirit of a conquering, overcoming warrior. A warrior that will not leave his comrade behind. Third, how are the spiritual to restore such a one? Well, in the spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves lest we're also tempted. Now, this boldness of the spiritual is not a confidence in themselves because... They should know that, but for the grace of God, there go I. That's why you're to consider yourself. Because when you consider your own heart, you're like, oh, that could have been me, because I had those thoughts too, you know. I've had those thoughts before. That could have been me. But for the grace of God, there go I. Now, in relation to this text, I have found some universal agreement. And Robert, if you would please come and go ahead and distribute these papers that are here on the communion table. But in relation to this text, I have found universal agreement among theologians and their commentaries on this text. Such as John Gill, who was a Baptist pastor in England. John... Uh, He was the pastor of Goat Yard Chapel. How would you like that for a church name? Goat Yard Chapel. Where do you go to church? I go to Goat Yard. But it was the same Baptist church once pastored by Benjamin Keach, who was one of the signers of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith and who wrote the Baptist Catechism. Later, this church would become New Park Street Chapel and then the Metropolitan Tabernacle pastored by Charles Spurgeon. Then there is John Calvin, who was a French theologian, pastor, and reformer in Geneva during the Protestant Reformation. Then also Matthew Henry, who was a nonconformist minister and author... Um, who spent much of his life in England, even though he was born in Wales, but he's best known for his six-volume biblical commentary, Exposition of the Old and New Testaments. And I mentioned this because I want you to read a few quotes from these men, and I'm distributing them because we're not going to be able to read them all. We don't have time, so you can take them home and read them. It's in relation to this verse that we are looking at here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. But I do want to begin and read a little bit from John Gill as he's commenting on, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, or be taken before in one, not as uh, Grotius thinks, before this epistle should come to them, which is a very, and I think that's a... uh, a word that well, I know first of all, if that's an actual word and not a misprint, that's a word I don't know, but it's very jejune. anyone familiar with that word no, i'm not either, but anyway, that's not um, important for our sense here, but anyway, he's talking about its uh, empty sense of the words, not before the conversion of the man because sins before conversion do not come under the notice and cognizance of a church or are liable to its reproofs and censors. So he's trying to define who Paul is talking about. He's not talking about someone outside the church. He is definitely talking about somebody inside the church. That's the point he's trying to make here. Um, But before the man is aware through negligence and imprudence for want of caution and circumspection, and so is carried away either through the treachery of his own heart and the power of corruption or through the temptations of Satan who goes about and comes on the back of them, lays snares for them and attacks them unawares and takes all advantages of them, or by the ill examples of others whereby they are drawn aside and into sin, the the apostle has no particular respect by a fault to schisms in the church or to any errors or heresies in doctrine, though the restoration of such in meekness should be endeavored, but rather to immorality. So what John Gill's getting at, first of all, it's someone in the church, and specifically what... Paul is talking about is a brother who is overtaken in any immoral trespass. That's the gist that he's getting to. And so, but rather to immorality in life and con- uh, conversation, and indeed to any of the works of the flesh mentioned in the preceding chapter, and especially he means any fall of professors, as the word uh, used signifies, into sin through advertency and want of care and watchfulness in distinction from a willful, obstinate, and continued course of sinning, and intends not any man in the world for those that are without. Churches and members of churches have nothing to do with in a church way, but any man that is a brother, a church member that stands in such a relation to them when he falls into sin is to be taken notice of by them. Why? For the purpose of restoring them. And So then he goes on, you who are spiritual, meaning not such who had greater spiritual gifts than others, their ministers, pastors, and ecclesiastical governors, though these may be so called. And to them it belongs to reprove and rebuke, recover and restore backsliders, which they do in gentleness and meekness. But the apostle here addresses the brethren in general and several members of the church, even all but those that were fallen. Nor does he mean such as have more spiritual knowledge than others in opposition to babes, nor regenerate persons and such as had the Spirit of God in distinction from carnal men, but such as live and walk in the Spirit and are strong and stand by the power and grace of the Spirit of God, as opposed to the weak, and who were fallen through the prevalency of the flesh and force of temptation, whose duty it is and on whom it lies to restore such you can take the rest of those quotes and go and read them on your own time at home but what Paul's saying here is brethren after I've just shown you the distinction between those who are of the flesh and those who are of the spirit and it's based upon how they are walking it's based upon how they are living It's based upon the trans uh, testimony that they are projecting. He says, if one of us is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. This is the work that we have been given to do. It's not all of the work, but it's an important part of the work that we have been given to do as a church. It is that third plank of the Great Commission to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It's our work. This is part of the ministry of the church, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of restoration. Yes, it belongs to pastors and elders, but here in our text we see that it belongs to the whole body. And would to God we could restore a powerful and victorious church that is not defined by being overtaken, but is defined by being restorative. Because restoration is victory over. This is our work. Therefore, as... With the children of Judah in Nehemiah's day. As they were informed of the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down. And their response to that message was simply this. Let us rise up and build. Would to God that would be our response today. Yes. We have failed in many ways. But upon hearing this word, this command, may our response be, let us rise up and build. Let us take on this work of restoring one another. We have been told that we will be successful if we do. Jesus told his disciples, seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Therefore we should be proclaiming, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick, Uh, darkness the peoples but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising let us rise let us rise up and do the work as Ezra told the children of Israel in the rebuilding of the temple arise for it is your task And we are with you. Be strong and do it. Father, we pray that you would raise us up to do the work that is before us. For this work that we have been called to in this ministry of reconciliation is our salvation. It's the salvation of those we are sitting beside here this morning. It's the salvation of those in our family. It's the salvation of our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors. Father, help us to be committed to the work, the work that you have sent us as ambassadors of Christ. And you sent him. To save the world you sent him to save sinners you sent him to reconcile this world to you and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation so we pray that we would rise up and do the work in Christ's name we pray amen